Welcome back to a brand new episode of She Talks Life Podcast, and this is your host, Tavon Ray. You can find me here every Mondays and Fridays with brand new episodes. Please don't forget, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, leave a raving review, like the podcast, and subscribe. This helps the podcast to gain recognition and help push the content to a wider audience. Once again, thank you for listening. Now let's get into this week's episode. Good morning, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're talking a lot about politics and the um, changes that have been occurring around the world in our neighborhood and even right in our own backyard. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Um, Today's topic is going to cover the Roe Roe versus Wade um, abolition of it, abolishing, you know, Roe versus Wade. It's been a law around for a many, many years. Um, which uh, allows women to have legal abortions. Um, this, this overturning of Roe versus Wade has left women without the possibility of having legal abortion and um, you know, being safe when it comes to fertility and choosing their own birth plans and their own fertility journeys and their own right to choose whether or not they want to become a parent at 20 versus a parent at 35 or 40. And so the Supreme Court justices decided that after so much civil right changes have occurred and the woman's body is the right to choose they decided let's overturn that and leave it up to the states to decide whether or not a woman should have an abortion or she should bring this child into life. It doesn't matter how that child was conceived. And also understanding what is considered a child at what stage. Now, legal abortions used to be where um, you had up until I believe 14 or 16 weeks was the cutoff time for you to have a legal abortion. Um, Now, in Tennessee, before, and you guys know I live in Tennessee, before um, this had happened and it was always up on the agenda to always, I find every administration when they jump in the house, the, the Senate and all that stuff, abortion and immigration are two toughest things that occur that allow them to like push their narrative out there on the world when we have so much things going on in this world like gun violence you know mass shootings all that type of stuff but we're focusing on building a wall to keep out the mexicans or the hispanics and um focusing on whether or not a woman should give birth if she doesn't want to or find herself in an accidental pregnancy Um, And so here we are where we have to talk about it. We have to educate women again. We have to go back and educate women again because back in the day, legal abortions were not done in certain cities or states and women used to go out of the country, white women who had money and was able to travel easily were able to go outside of the country to get an abortion. Um, Today on the news and in today's pop culture um, segment, we bring up this topic about abortion and how abortion has become so significantly detrimental 
to states because women don't have accessibility to it. Tennessee has what is called the heartbeat law. So if you hear heartbeat, that permits a doctor not to give you an abortion. That's in Tennessee. That law has been passed for a couple of years now. Um, but now that um, the Supreme Court has overturned abortions um, and overturned Roe versus Wade, Tennessee now says that they're not allowing um, abortions at all in the state of Tennessee. So on the news, um, there is a doctor who is looking to have a an abortion clinic on the water in the Gulf of Mexico because when she they put the map up in the Gulf of Mexico, you have Tennessee, Mississippi, um, and a few others, Louisiana, right on the Gulf of Mexico. And what is occurring is that they're trying to get funding where they can have women safely get proper care if they decide to have an abortion. Now, I did also hear that um, women, if you are in a harmful way of carrying a child or there was some kind of harm, you're allowed to get an abortion to save your life. So that is something that was just recently said. So um, definitely, if you want to um, read more about what this topic is about and what I'm going to talk about right now, I suggest that you check the show notes because any links of articles or anything that I think that my audience would love to read up more on, um, it will be in the show notes. So let's just jump right into today's episode. It's not going to be a long episode, but I did want to mention um, a few things because it pertains to the topic of today. So recently, I found um, two documentaries. The first one was about abortion rights and how uh, Roe versus Wade actually came into play. Um, it is on Netflix. Check the show notes because the names of the shows will be in the show notes. So check that so you can check it out on Netflix. But this one I really felt was very interesting and I thought my audience would love to hear about it and actually go and check it out. It is a show, not a show, it is a documentary on Netflix called Our Father. And this is about a fertility doctor in Indianapolis who um, actually used his own specimen to impregnate over 100 women and had over a hundred children and counting. Last, last when the documentary was aired, they got up to 94 children that they were able to locate to let them know that, yeah, they were a part of this. Now, this story is not new. It is just that it's currently on Netflix, but this um, topic was on the Dr. Phil show. Jacoby is the first girl that brought the case to the Supreme, not the Supreme Court, the um, Attorney General's office in Indiana. She was born in 1979 to a white woman and a white man with dark hair, and she was blonde. She started asking questions the older she got, and she asked, why does she look so different from her mother and father? And we know that DNA and genetics plays a role in how it determines our eye color, our hair color, and that kind of thing. Um, when she started digging and did, you know, DNA testing was not as significant as it is now than it was back then. You know, 
in the early 90s and 80s they were not the early late 80s early 90s they were starting to allow people to find out about their dna their history ancestry and me you know 23 and me that kind of thing so she went on and she got a dna test on ancestry.com and her dna came back showing that her mother was her mother but where where it says father it said father unknown however when it moved away from the father and it showed the graph, she had seven siblings. And she was like, that can't be possible because her mother used a donor sperm and infertility treatments and fertility sperm, like when you go to the sperm bank, you, they only use the sperm at least three times, no more than three times, no less than five. So when she realized that she had seven siblings, she started questioning the idea of like, what the hell is going on? Like, why do I have this many siblings? Because she knew that that couldn't be possible. She started trying to contact the people, letting them know, and they all started digging into their past and doing their um, Ancestry.com, and she started finding more and more children. So the more children that came out, and she started asking the daughter, you know, her, her siblings about, you know, did your mom have you in, in Indianapolis? Did your mom went to a fertility clinic? What fertility clinic they went to? And they started putting the pieces together. They found out that Donna Klein, a renowned fertility doctor and specialist, was actually using his own sperm to impregnate every woman that came into his office. Even the ones who came with their husband's sperm, he was actually swapping out their husband's sperm for his own sperm, and he think he didn't do anything wrong. He, he thought he didn't do anything wrong. So as things change and progress between these um, children, Jacoby was very adamant of confronting him. She found out that he had children. She reached out to his wife and his son and his daughter, and she met his son and his daughter from his wife. He was married for 57 years, and his wife had no idea that her husband was actually out there jerking off in the office while a woman waits to receive a donor sperm that happens to be his. Um, the attorney general basically said at the time that, you know, they didn't really have enough evidence to go on to make it a sexually based or heinous crime. So basically what they got him on was the fact that when they issued a letter for him to, to specify whether or not he used a sample of his own, he actually lied on a federal document and they already knew because his DNA they came to him, they asked to take his DNA test because they had a warrant, they took the DNA test, and it showed that he fathered all these children. So they were able to get him on lying on a federal document, but at the time when the case was brought to the court, they didn't have anything like this had ever happened, so they didn't know what kind of crime to call it. It couldn't be a rape crime because the basis of rape, which is subjected to you know, those who are understanding of the legal ramifications of rape and what rape signifies is totally different. So they couldn't charge him on sexual assault for these women because these women didn't give consent to use his sperm. These women came in the office thinking that they were getting some random guy that 
you know, they don't want to be a part of this and decided to have a kid. And this is what occurred. So a lot of this was very um, detrimental because these women were traumatized. Some of these women didn't understand, like, why would he have done something like that? So they were starting to look at conspiracy theories about different um, things because this had to be uh, a joke. And also, Donald Klein was very prevalent in his community. He was an elder in the church. He was someone politicians respected and knew. He was a very renowned um, surgeon who actually went out there and talked about infertility, how to conceive. He was very um, business-oriented. And when they started talking about the people who worked with him and what kind of person he was, and they, they, you know, they expressed how his character was, you started to realize that they didn't really know Donna Klein. Even his own business partner that started the clinic with him had no idea that he was doing this. Um, the reporter that broke the case in Indiana on Channel 59, she was um, wondering, like, why is no one taking this as serious as it should be taken? Because here is a man abusing his power as a doctor to impregnate all these women because he felt like it was his duty by God because he brought religion in it. He was very religious. Um, Jacoby, who is the first daughter who brought the case to the attorney general, she actually found out in doing research that Donna Klein in, um, I think it was either 1970-something, he actually committed a murder, but he wasn't convicted of it. He was driving down the street one day, and a little girl ran out into the street. While her mother was watching, she she veered out into the street and he didn't realize and he hit her and she died. And he felt like he needed to give his life over to the Lord. And in his way of making amends for that death, he felt like he had to give life. One of his favorite scriptures was Jeremiah 1, 5, which is before I knew, before I your mother knew you, I knew you or something like that. Don't quote me on that scripture, but yeah, that's what he was he based his whole entire uh, reasoning for actually impregnating all these women. Check this show out. It's really interesting. Well, one of the things that Jacoby brought up that I thought was very interesting that I really wanted to touch before we end off the show was Quiverly. Apparently, Quiverly is... Um, Shaking or trembling slightly, right? That's quivery. But quiverly is a cult-like, and we're going to talk about quiverly. So quiverly is a Christian theology position that sees large families as a blessing from God. It encourages procreation, abstaining from all forms of birth control. So what is the Quiverly ideology? We know that it's all Christianity, Christianity and, um, you know, talking about why the family structure should continue to procreate. And 
this really piqued my interest because when Jacoby was looking for siblings, every sibling that got a hit on those Ancestry.coms and 23andMe um, stuff, they were all Caucasian with blue eyes, blonde hair. Majority of his children were blue eyes, blonde hair. And he felt in their conspiracy theory was he wanted to keep the white race pure by not going out there and impregnating black women or women of color and that kind of thing. So um, some sources have referred to the quiverful position as providentialism or providentialism. I don't know how to say that word, but we're going to leave it in the, in the show notes. While other sources have simply referred to it as manifestation of natalism. It is more widespread in the United States, but it also has adherents in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and other years, um, and elsewhere. In 2006, estimates put the number of families which subscribe to this philosophy as ranging from the thousands to the low tens of thousands. Um, they want you to not use birth control, and they want you to just constantly procreate. Um, I belong to the Anglican faith. Um, growing up as a child, I was baptized, not baptized. I had confirmation. Um, I did my communion, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't subscribe to that at all. That's not who I am. Um, it allows when, when people do this kind of thing and hide behind religion, it allows for those who are seeking a relationship with God to fear connecting with God based off of what the world shows them that, you know, go to church, listen to the man that's up there standing up preaching and so forth. And it drives that wedge between God and you as you try to form that bond and that relationship with God. For me, I don't need to go to that physical building to have a relationship with God. I choose to have a relationship with God based off of what conversations I'm having with God and knowing that where God is placed in my life and how he has ordained my life in a way that I will always come and seek him out. But I don't hide behind my religion to sin. And this man took it upon himself to say he needed to give back to society and give back to God by doing such a heinous thing while he was so, he knew what he was doing because when he, um, what was really great is that she recorded the conversation she had with him when he contacted her because they did meet him. The, some of the children went and met him. He was cold. He was withdrawn. In his mentality, in his mind, he did not think that these women or these children were his children. He thought he was doing a service for God. And giving his sperm and procreating was his way of redeeming himself for hurting and harming a child that was not, it was nothing in his control at the time of the death. Um, my thoughts on the quiverful um, people, um, it's all about um, a cult. Like you said, it's a cult. It's that that innate thing where 
they want you to think that this is what God wants, but they're deceiving to get what they assume the agenda across because here's a man that wants to procreate and thinks this is what God wants and he allows himself to de to be deceptive to mother's family and and just go about doing whatever he wanted to and didn't even care about the consequences and he was so withdrawn from it that he didn't realize how much harm he has caused now when they did approach the attorney general and they took it to trial in Indianapolis, it felt like it was a slap in the face to all these children who found out this terrible news because he was not convicted. He was put to a, it was a level six crime and he was only slapped with $500 fines. And that was it. And he walked out of the courtroom with his wife, his kids, like nothing ever happened. But what was really a turn of events and interesting is there was a couple who knew him very well because they were doctors, she was a psychiatrist, and they were colleagues. They had twin daughters. She had fertility issues, and they used him as their fertility doctor. And he used his own sperm to impregnate her and got her pregnant with two with a twin daughters and he literally was in their life till this whole thing came out the daughter started having autoimmune issues her and her children and they did the dna tests and all this stuff and when that dna test came back that's when she found out that she was a part of the group of kids that were suing him and taking him to court um, because she had no idea. Her mom had no idea. The dad did not have any idea, but her children, she's like, she had fertility issues. She, ha she was in between minds. She said her issue was that she hated him for doing that, but then also she was happy to be able to give life to these two beautiful girls, but her daughter was subjected to him touching her inappropriately because he was her biological father and he was also her gynecologist and fertility doctor. And so they did not specify or, you know, like say if he was her children's donor. Um, but I am guessing and speculating that if he was her fertility doctor and she had two, she had children with the same autoimmune disease that he had along with all of his other children, was he their father and grandfather at the same time? Like, because he doesn't seem to think he was their dad, right? He didn't have any connection. The only connection he had was he jerked off in a cup and put his sperm in their bodies and that was it. Um, I'm going to end it right here. Um, the Please watch the documentary so you get more in-depth detail of it. But um, when they did the documentary and they started looking into this more, they found 44 more doctors who actually was doing the same thing that he was doing. And so um, 
when it comes to fertility and stuff like that, fertility treatments and stuff like that, I really don't know anything about fertility and how it works. But if you're interested in it, I will leave some links in the show notes below so you guys um, could familiarize yourself with how the fertility process works. But it's just so strange that this occurred and there wasn't really any retribution for these children because all of these children have health issues, which he knew in order to be a candidate for the donor, you had to have perfect genetics. And no one's perfect, but you didn't have to have significantly high genetical issues. And he had an autoimmune disease that would cause colon issues, all types of stuff. So he deceived that process as well to become this prominent fertility doctor. And it is just so detrimental that these people did not get justice because of who he turned out to be in his community. Everyone said, if you met Donna Klein, he was a good man. But they had no idea who Donna Klein was. And I am glad that we are here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I will see you on the next episode. Don't forget to tune in to She Talks Live every Mondays and Fridays. Talk to you guys. Bye. Okay, that wraps up this um, Monday's episode. I hope that you guys gained some insight from this episode. Um, I can't wait to see you back here. We will be back on Friday uh, for a brand new episode of the She Talks Life podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, leave a review um, for the podcast so that the podcast can reach a wider audience. And check the show notes for any links and articles that um, may be related to the show. Also, my socials, if you want to follow me on any social media platform, that will also be in the show notes. So don't forget to check that out. And I will see you. This is your girl, Tavon Ray, and this is She Talks Life podcast. Bye, guys. Thank you.